0: On tonight's episode, readings will come from In the Lights and Shadows of Life by T.S. Arthur. The readings will be slightly different because they will be coming from the intro and the preface and autobiography section at the start of the book. I hope you enjoy tonight's episode, and if you would be so kind, please leave a review and rating in your podcast app. I'd like to say a special thanks to Keelio, who left some kind words on the Apple Podcasts from Australia. I look forward to bringing out more episodes to help you and everyone get a good night's rest everywhere. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. Preface To all, as they pass through the world, come light and shadow. Though the sun may be in the heavens, clouds often intervene and cast deep shadows about our footsteps. But it is a truth which we cannot too deeply lay to heart that in our life, as in nature, the exhalations which form the obscuring cloud arise from below. They are not born in pure heavens, but spring out of the earth beneath. If there was nothing evil in the mind, there would be no cloud in the sky of our being. All would be eternal sunshine. If therefore, in this book, the lights and shadows are blessed, if in a word the clouds often hang heavy and remain long in the sky... The fault is in those whose histories we have written. But the sky does not always remain dark. As the heart becomes filled with better purposes through the trials and pains of adversity, or comes out purer from the furnace of affliction, the clouds disperse and the blessed sunlight comes again. Lay this up for your consolation, all ye who are in trouble and affliction, and look hopefully in the future. It will not always remain dark as in the present time. Publisher's Introduction Accompanying this volume is a brief autobiography. In circulating Mr. Arthur's sketches of life and character, The publisher met so frequently with an expressed desire to know something of one whose writings had made him a general favorite that he was led to solicit a personal sketch to go with a new collection of his writings. It is but due to the author to say that this concurrence in the matter was not without considerable reluctance. From this sketch, it will be seen that Mr. Arthur is a self-made man and that he has gained his present enviable position through long and patient labor and against the pressure of much that was adverse and discouraging. In his elevation, he has this pleasing reflection that in seeking to gain a high place for himself, he has dragged no one down, but rather sought to carry along in his upward way all who could be induced to go with him. The portrait given in this volume was engraved from one recently painted by Lambden and is considered a very good likeness. Mr. Arthur is now in his forty second year and looks somewhat younger than the artist has represented him. For the information of those who wish to procure Mr. Arthur's Temperance Tales, the publisher would state that in lights and shadows of real life are included all the stories contained in the recently issued edition of Illustrated Temperance Tales, besides nearly 200 pages of additional matter making a larger, more miscellaneous, and more acceptable book for all readers. Brief Autobiography In compliance with the earnest request of the publisher of this volume, I have, with a reluctance that I find it difficult to overcome, consented to furnish a brief sketch personal to myself, Although my name has been constantly appearing for some 12 or 15 years, yet I have lost none of that, shrinking from notoriety and observation which made me timid and retiring when a boy. The necessity to write as means of livelihood, and to write a great deal, has brought me so frequently before the public that I have almost ceased to think about the matter as anything more than an ordinary occurrence. But now when called upon to write about myself, I find that the edge of a natural sensitiveness is quite as keen as ever. But I will call the feeling a weakness and try to repress it until I have finished my present work. I was born in the year 1809, near Newburgh, Orange County, New York, and my eyes first opened on the beautiful scenery of the Hudson. My earliest recollection is of Fort Montgomery, some six miles below West Point on the river, where my parents resided for a few years previous to 1817. In the spring of that year they removed to Baltimore which became my place of residence until 1841 when I came to Philadelphia where I have since lived. My early educational advantages were few. There were no public schools in Maryland when I was a boy and as my father had a large family and but a moderate income, he could afford to send his children to school only for a limited period. He knew the value, however, of a good education, and did all for us in his power. Especially did he seek to inspire his children with a regard for religious truth, and both by precept and example, to lead them into the practice of such things as were honest and of good rest. In all this, he was warmly seconded by a mother, who still survives, and for whom it is but just to say, that her children feel the tenderest regard, and well may they do so, for they owe her much. At school, I was considered a very dull boy. My memory was not retentive, and I comprehended ideas and formulas expressed by others in a very imperfect manner. I needed a careful, judicious, and patient teacher who understood the character of my mind and who was able to come down to it with instruction in the simplest and clearest forms, thus helping me to think for myself and to see for myself. Instead of this, I was scolded and whipped because I could not understand things that were never explained. As for instance, a slate and pencil were placed in my hands after I had learned to read, upon which a sum in simple addition for which I was required to find an answer now in the word addition as referring to figures I saw no meaning I did not comprehend the fact in connection with it that two and two made four true I had learned my addition table but strangely enough that did not furnish me with any clue towards working out the problem of figures set for me on my slate. I was then in my ninth year, and I can remember to this day, with perfect distinctiveness, how utterly discouraged I became, as day by day went by, and still I had not found a correct result to any one of my sums nor gained a single ray of light on the subject. Strange as it may seem, I remained for several months in simple addition before I knew how to sum up the figures, and then the meaning of addition flashed in a sudden thought upon my mind while I was at play. I had no trouble after that, During the next week, I escaped both scolding and belaboring a favorite phrase of my teacher's, and then passed on to subtraction. Five minutes devoted to an explanation in some simple form of what addition meant would have saved me the loss of months, to say nothing of the pain, both mental and bodily that I suffered during the time. With such a mind and such a teacher, it is no wonder that I made but little progress during the few years that I went to school. Beyond reading and writing, arithmetic and English grammar included the entire range of my studies. As for the arithmetic, I did not master half the common rules and grammar was to my mind completely unintelligible. In the end, my teacher declared that it was only wasting time and money to send me to school, and advised my father to put me out to trade. This was done, I left home and entered upon an apprenticeship shortly after passing my 13th year. If I found it extremely difficult to comprehend ideas as expressed in ordinary written forms, I was not without thoughts of my own. I had an active mind, and soon after entering upon my apprenticeship, the desire for knowledge became strong. As food for this was supplied, even though in a stinted measure, the desire gained strength and I began a system of self-education that was continued for years afterwards. Of course, the system was a very imperfect one. There was no one to select books for me, nor to direct my mind in its search after knowledge. I was a humble apprentice boy, inclined from habit to shrink from observation and preferring to grope about in the dark for what I was in search of, rather than intrude my wants and wishes upon others. Day after day, I worked and thought, and night after night, I read and studied, while other boys were seeking pleasure and recreation. Thus, through much discouragement, the years passed by, and thus time, went on, until I attained the age of manhood, when defective sight compelled me to give up the trade I had been acquiring for over seven years. Beyond this trade, my ability to earn a living was small. My efforts at self-education had been guided by no definite aims in life. I had read and studied and thought, more to gratify a desire for knowledge than to gain information with the end of applying it to any particular use. The consequence was that on reaching manhood, I entered the world at a great disadvantage. My trade to learn, which I had spent so many years, could not be followed except at the risk of losing my sight, which had failed for the three preceding years with such rapidity that I was now compelled to use glasses of strong magnifying power. I had but slight knowledge of figures and was not therefore competent to take the situation of a clerk. At this point in my life, I suffered from great discouragement of mind though the kind offices of a friend place was procured for me in accounting room, at a very small salary, where but light service was required, and where I found but few opportunities for acquiring a knowledge of business. Here I remained for over three years, almost as shut out from contact with the business world as when an apprentice And with plenty of time on my hands for reading and writing, which I improved. The necessity for a larger income caused me to leave this place and accept of one in which a higher ability was required. In 1833, I went to the West as agent for a banking company, but the institution failed and I returned to Baltimore out of employment. During all this time, I was devoting my leisure moments to writing. Not that I looked forward to authorship as a trade. Nothing could have been more foreign to my thoughts. I continued to write, and as I began, prompted by an impulse that I felt little inclination to resist... At this point in my life, I was induced in association with a friend who was as fond of writings as myself to assume the editorial charge of a literary paper. And here began, in my earnest, my literary labours that have since continued with only brief periods of intermission. As an author... I have never striven for mere reputation, have never sought to make a name. Circumstances over which I had little control guided my fate, and I walked onward in the path that opened before me, not doubting, but that I was in the right way. If other employment had offered if I had received a good business education and been able, through that means, to have advanced myself in the world, I would, like thousands of others who had an early fondness for literary pursuits, soon have laid aside my pen and given to trade the best energies of my mind. But providence guided my feet, into other paths than these. They were rough and thorny at times, and I often fainted by the way, yet renewed strength ever came when I felt the weakest. If my earnest labour has not been so well rewarded in a money sense as it might have been, had I possessed a business education at the time, of my entrance upon life. My reward, in another sense, has been great. Though I have not been able to accumulate wealth, I have gained what wealth alone cannot give, a widespread acknowledgement that in my work I have done good to my fellow men. This acknowledgement comes back upon me from all directions and I will not deny that it affords me a deep interior satisfaction. Could it be otherwise? And with this heartwarming satisfaction, there arises ever in my mind a new impulse prompting to still more earnest efforts in the cause of humanity. My choice of temperance themes has not arisen from any experience in my own person of the evils of intemperance but from having been an eye and ear witness to some of the first results of Washingtonism and seeing in the cause one worthy the best efforts of my pen the temperance cause I recognised as a good cause and I gave it the benefit of whatever talent I possessed, and I have the pleasant assurance from very many who have had better opportunities to know than myself that my labour has not been in vain. Thus much, I have ventured to write of myself. Beyond this, let my works speak for me. I can say no more. Philadelphia, May. 1850.